Welcome to the iconic style and bold sophistication that is the Agency <laughs> Podcast. I like that new intro. <laughs> My name is Eugene and I'm your agent in Canada. Hi, it's Candy here, newly returned last night from Soulville, home of the blues, Memphis, Tennessee, but I'm in Chicago today. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you too. Sorry I couldn't make it yesterday. I was going to do the podcast yesterday morning but then I realized it was just going to push me back too late to get home. It's a long drive between Memphis and Chicago. Absolutely. I want to hear all about your adventures, but first, I want to send a shout out to Dee, who sent us an email after finding our business card in a public washroom (laughs) in Venice, Florida. Hello, Deirdre. It's it's the kind of class act we are. Oh, that's right. I know. I was putting little business cards everywhere, and (laughs) I was in that washroom, and I knew it was kind of sketchy, but I thought, (laughs) you never know. Someone could be looking for an answer or a new project. They could need some inspiration. So I left a business card in the washroom in Venice, Florida, near a park that we did a tour of. We did a big walking tour of Venice, Florida the other day. Well, I'm hoping uh, I've responded to Dee and and I've invited her to tune in and listen to the podcast. So I hope she does. I hope she does too. And anyone else who may have found a postcard, handmade postcard, uh, you know, down south or a business card laying around somewhere at a record store or coffee shop or a restaurant or a public washroom, um, welcome. And um, if Henry and his wife are listening from Houston, Um, who I met searching for coffee in New Orleans one morning around seven o'clock in the morning. And we landed up, the coffee shop we went to was closed and we ended up getting along and keeping each other company. We walked over to Cafe Du Monde, it was closed. And then we had to go all the way back to the other coffee shop we went to. And, you know, his wife was waiting for coffee back at the hotel room. My husband was waiting for coffee back at the hotel room um, because hotels don't have coffee right now. Because of COVID, it's, uh, you know, there's no continental breakfast or services like that, understandably. Um, But, you know, I almost brought my coffee percolator with me, and I didn't. And of course, now I wish I had. I know that's a a candy kind of thing to do. I know you haul your desktop around and and who knows what else. We ended up with a rice cooker here because you have to haul your rice cooker to Toronto. Uh, that's right, and Jill has my Instapot. <laughs> my oh, by the Instapot. way, I have to, I have to tell you yeah. that uh, Sheila looked at your rice cooker and said, "Oh my God, the Teflon is scratched," and yeah. we both suddenly remembered that horrid documentary about all those people getting cancer from from Teflon. Right, and, uh, and Sheila made me upgrade the rice cooker. Oh, good. Excellent. So, so your rice cooker is in a landfill somewhere, and uh, and I have a rice cooker which is actually exactly the same, but it looks swankier. Yeah, and it probably has the more protected Teflon. I mean, you, you want to temper that. It's not. I don't even think if it's called Teflon anymore. And Teflon isn't the same material that it used to be. I so I, I know, but nonetheless, it was bugging us, and it was going to bug me every time I cooked no, rice. In and it. you know, you know, sometimes people take food out of Teflon in nonstick pans with the improper tools, and that's what happens. Yes. I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone. And who might have done that in your family that wasn't you? <laughs> Jeez, do we get guesses? Yeah, we do. I, I said it in my cough. <laughs> Bless his so, heart. So let's see. You you were in Nashville and you yes. were in um, Pensacola. Pensacola. Well, you were we in Miami. To, 
Yeah, we went to Miami and we did an interview there. I shared some photos last week of, of the setup. And, and Venice. Uh, and then we went to Venice and that was a stayover between going to Pensacola. Uh, we stayed with Tony and Dan. Hello, if they're listening. And they are Derek's parents. And Derek is one of Stegg's best and oldest friends. Mm-hmm. And they, um, everyone was just amazing. We were so lucky we were able to stay with people and friends. And we just had a great time. They took us on a big walking tour of uh, Venice. And, and people should know you've had both your uh, Pfizer vaccinations. Moderna, yes, we have. Moderna, okay, yep, sorry. Yep, yep, Moderna. Moderna. So you're well vaccinated up, so you're relatively low risk. True. And also, we're still vigilant. I'm wearing two masks. I've, I've been wearing two masks forever. And um, since this whole thing started, hand washing, you know, Santa wipes in the car for the get service stations. I, I mean, I do feel possibly a little irresponsible doing this trip. But not exactly, because one, I think we fed into the economy quite a bit. <laughs> we did our part for, um, you know, spending recovery. And, and recovery. And Candy um, Mink's recovery plan. That's right. And, and everyone we met and strangers on the street, everyone traveling was um, vaccinated. Now, I'm going to send you a picture, which I will share on our podcast. But right now, I'm going to send it to you privately. And um, you can describe it to our listeners if you like. Oh, you're going to do it right this second? Sure, in a second I will, as soon as I can find it. I'm trying not to take up too much time scrolling okay. on the phone. Um, so we, I think I last talked to you in Pensacola a week ago. And um, then we drove to New Orleans. And we stayed there. And if, if things weren't crazy enough, a friend of ours in Connecticut, who I've talked about before, uh, Andrew, if you're listening, um, hello. And his friend Lauren, if you're listening, hello. And... Um, he met us in New Orleans of all places. So, wow. and then he drove back with us. So it was a really crazy fun. Okay, I found a picture I'm going to send to you. Okay. And you can uh, guess what this is. I'm sure you will recognize it. Okay, I will and do my best to, uh, to talk about it since sending pictures is not the usual podcast fare. No, but we, we describe artwork and stuff. I mean, I, I like describing artwork on the podcast. Okay. I don't know if our listeners like it or not. <laughs> But I just want you to give us your response because I know you're going to be kind of surprised. And um, so, yeah, we spent a couple of days in New Orleans. We um, ate some great food. And um, like I said, we did a recovery program. And Andrew met us. And um, I've actually got some food here in front of me to tell you what we ate. We ate at Lil Dizzy's Cafe. And we spoke to the owner. I spoke to so many people. I guess I do when I travel, but I really spoke to a lot of people and tried to keep track of what I was learning. And um, she told us that uh, the place had been closed since the pandemic, and her father-in-law owned it. And it sat quiet, sat quiet, then in January, they bought it. Uh, Her husband and her bought the restaurant, Little Dizzy's Cafe, and they opened in November, or or December, rather, just about when they were allowed to in in December and January. A lot of New Orleans has been closed, and um, lots of places we went to had only opened two months ago. So we had, um, what do we have? Oh, we had uh, red beans and rice, smoked hot sausage. They had the most incredible greens I've ever eaten in my whole life. They were mind blowing. And I got you a recipe book. Awesome. Yeah. So they had a little family recipe book. I haven't found the recipe with, with the greens and I hope it's in there, but everything else was on there. Seafood platters, side items. They had um, macaroni and cheese, of course. So it was soul food and it was incredible. It's on... Um, 
1500 Esplanade Avenue. If you're in New Orleans, you better go. If you're in New Orleans, you probably already know about it. Did you get my photo? No. Oh. You know, my phone has not been working the best. I can see it there. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's probably bouncing off Japan or something on its it way over here. Is. Okay. No, well, if it shows up, let us know. Yeah, or bouncing um, off Scarborough, I don't know. Right, right. And, uh, you know, so Stag um, took his artwork out to Jackson Square because not only do I carry appliances, we carry art. <laughs> well, and how did that go? Was he able to sell some work? He did not have a lot of success, but he had an amazing day. He loved every second of it, and he talked to tons of people and had lots of fun, and, and uh, you know, he was hanging out in New Orleans with his artwork. How fun could it? It couldn't be much more fun. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. What about you? Well, nothing quite as exciting. You know, uh-huh. the last the last few nights, I've been doing the most nerdy thing that you could ever imagine. I've been staying up late to watch a live broadcast with commentary <laughs> of the M Lily Cup, which is essentially the Go World Champions wow. Championships, yeah. um, and the finals was being um, broadcast. <laughs> by a guy named Michael Redmond, who's an American um, living in Japan, nine-dan professional Go player in Japan, and he does a lot of commentary. And he decided that he would broadcast the game live. Uh Broadcasting the game means you see a picture of a board, uh, you see a picture of him talking to you, and he runs through variations. And... um, in these games they get something like five hours each like it's long so but it it worked out the games were each around five hours i couldn't watch all of them i watched bits and pieces you You know that coffee um you know i i i didn't stay up that late i watched pieces of it i you know i I would watch like 20 minutes of it then do something else and then catch up and watch another 20 minutes and (laughs) then the next morning i would go right to the end and watch to see what happened but uh it was uh between uh uh zk and me ting and uh me ting is the uh i guess the new world champion wow congratulations if you're listening me tang congratulations Yes. Me Yuting, Y-U-T-I-N-G. Is Sorry. Yeah. So, um, so that was kind of exciting in a super nerdy sort of way. Yeah, very much. And uh, also, also new is I. It occurred to me that it was about time I find a fiddle teacher. Oh. You know, I've been learning music for the past twenty years in the most haphazard <laughs> sort of way you could imagine, right? In a scattered and haphazard kind of way, um, without really any structure. And I've done okay, mm-hmm. you know, learning button accordion and then claw hammer banjo. And now I've I've been during the pandemic, I've been working really hard at learning fiddle. Mm-hmm. But it it occurred to me that I really should find a fiddle teacher. Um, to first of all, correct the bad habits that I've been happily developing. (laughs) And to, well, I got this idea. I got this idea that I I had been learning um, mostly Appalachian fiddle tunes, the same repertoire I play on on Clawhammer Banjo, but -hmm. I've been listening to a lot of Canadian old time fiddle. Mm you know, Ward Allen and Reg Hill and Andy DeJarlis. Oh, and, those guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
yeah, Mac Beattie and the Ottawa Valley Melodiers. Oh, you can't leave them out. You really can't. So anyway, <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of this, and yeah. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could find somebody who grew up playing that style? Mm. And I, I was thinking either either the Ottawa Valley style or the, the Quebec style of Canadian old time mm -hmm. um, we have several regional styles we have like a down east style like a Don Messer mm -hmm. uh, we have Quebecois we have Ottawa Valley we also have uh, Cape Breton okay. um, which uh, is a very distinct style and we have Métis uh, fiddle which is also very distinct uh, in uh, out west uh, really I guess Manitoba would be the epicenter of it uh, and that's very interesting because they play crooked tunes a lot. Mm -hmm. um, in, in the Métis tradition, it's typically a solo fiddle player. And so you don't have to have other players expecting you to follow a particular structure. So a lot of the Métis fiddlers add extra notes to bars or take mm -hmm. notes off of bars and, and they call it crooked. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I started Googling around to see if I could find a fiddle teacher and um, I really don't know how to go about doing that except googling around and so that's that's what I started doing and the first thing I noticed is that there's a ton of teachers out there who are mostly classical trained mm -hmm. classically trained but could teach you any style they could teach you okay. fiddle and it, it sort of reminded me of, uh, of of the dentist who makes sculpture on weekends right <laughs> yeah, I don't I want a classically trained <laughs> violinist teaching me fiddle there's something that's just not right about it i want to find a fiddler right right who's kind of grown up in that style and so i contacted somebody who i think lives in ottawa and of course we have facetime and skype and zoom and mm -hmm. so we don't have to be in the same place and we're going to try a trial lesson on thursday thursday afternoon and you know we're going to see is she the right teacher for me? Um, am I the right student for her? She right. has a busy teaching schedule. She's been mm. teaching for 40 years. Mm. Um, she's about our age. Mm -hmm. And uh, she grew up in the Ottawa Valley. So um, been playing since she was a kid. So I, I think she might work out as a teacher for me. I don't know. And the only way to know is invest a few bucks in a lesson and, mm. and find out. Good and job. If I'm sure that it's going to work, I'll, well, I'll invest in some more lessons. And if I think mm, back to the drawing board, I'll go find another fiddler who I like and try to get lessons that way. But so that's what I've been up to. Very interesting. I like it. Good job. I think that's great. Um, yeah. Well, no, really, basically, I've been doing some nerdy things, too. And when I'm traveling, I really love going back to places I've been before. I've traveled with people who hate doing that. They want to try something new, but I, I like to take a bit of time and go back to somewhere I've been before. And mm -hmm. we got to do that a lot this trip um, because we had done a, a huge road trip to Miami, Pensacola, and Venice in the past, and New Orleans and Memphis 10 years ago. So um, we had stayed in um, basically a hostel. I would call it an Airbnb. It wasn't an Airbnb because that wasn't invented yet. But it was an it was a B and B, but it was a guest hotel at St. Vincent. So I just wanted to drive by it. Plus, Cafe Mojo was across the street in New Orleans, and I had mentioned that they that we'd been there when we watched Your Honor. So I was kind of looking for places that Your Honor was filmed in, and I ah. saw a lot of a lot of atmosphere from Your Honor. They did a great job of it. 
Um, and part of when I'm going back to these places, of course, I'm, I'm having done a lot of road trips, I'm, I'm passing all the service stations I've gotten my cars fixed in over the years. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> I know. This year, the, the car held up. I burned oil like crazy, though. I got to tell you, I have to take it into the shop because I don't know why I was pouring buckets of oil into it. Uh oh, that's not good. That is not good. No, so something's up. Um, so we went to St. Vincent's. All I need to say is start saving money. I oh, is it really bad when your oil's burned, burning? Up? It's yeah, yeah, it's usually pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. Okay, <laughs> shit. Um, um, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is something that that's called a ring job. I don't really know what that is, except mm. that it's like cha-ching, cha-ching. Um, I, I could, know what the rings are, yeah. It could be like your whole motor is burning out. It, or it could be some people just happily go on burning oil for years. Yeah, and so you can that. hope that's, that's you. Yeah, I can hope to that. That's it's not me. good for the environment to do that. No, but. it's not good. It's weird because it came out of the shop right before we went on the road trip, and it, it just developed during the road trip. So I don't know what it is. And I think it might be the, the gaskets or rings, actually. Uh, black it, smoke? It no, none of that. No, no, no. Oh, okay. It could just be a leak. It could be a leak. That's what I'm wondering. It could right? be a little, uh, just a little leak. Did it smell? No, no not really. Okay. Uh, it could be this, this, there's a little leak, which could yeah. be just a gasket, um, right. which could be uh, an inexpensive gasket, <laughs> gasket and, ex and an expensive labor job right. to, you know, to install well, the I gasket because the... you have to remove half your engine, right? That's right. I have just like, the like I'm the guy telling you about cars. Like I know anything about cars. Know, I'm like right? the most car illiterate person you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it could, it could be a ring job. Like I know, I have no idea. Well, <laughs> so funny i know i guess i'll let you know next week how it went um so we went to and right away as we pull up cafe mojo looks a lot better hey these were beloved spots for me and right away st vincent's i actually think they i don't remember it being brick so i'm thinking they sandblasted the building i'm like what is going on here and there was a, a big ladder fixing it well they have turned it into a super luxury um boutique hotel and it's gorgeous um, as much. And I, I, and so I, of course I had to sneak in and I say sneak in because it's not open yet. And I noticed a crowd of people walking and it turns out the owner was giving a tour to probably investors. Anyway, I spoke to her for a few minutes. She's been renovating. Oh, it's got to be renovating for a couple of years. Um, all new landscaping, everything is refurbished and painted as much as I loved our memories of staying there. I think it would have made me sad to see it in worse repair. So I will go with the fact that they have done it with love. The pool looks amazing. There's all, they've got the whole cabana. Um, we saw three bars, two kitchens. I mean, this is going to be state-of-the-art, high-luxury hotel. I probably will not be able to afford to stay there ever again. <laughs> and when I told her, she was really surprised. I said, oh, I have such fond memories of staying here 10 years ago. And she was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> because I guess she knows what she had to do to the place, right? <laughs> right. So hey, by the way, I haven't received that photo. I know that's really weird. I think so, you're going to need to send it again. Okay. Let me see if I can do that. It probably okay. went to somebody else. No, no, it didn't. I'm going to try it a different way of, of just opening it up directly to my photo uh, library. Um, so we really did have a great time in New Orleans. We went back to, um, you know what was really good about New Orleans? Live music. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, did it ever feel good to see live music. Um, I saw a couple of bands playing on the street that were killer. One was an all-female band called um, Shotgun Jazz Band. They were killer. I took a little video, so I'll share that on our social media. And then we saw um, Steg and I 
just wandering around found Big Sam's Funky Nation. And how incredible was that? And I talked to him for a few minutes and took some video. I think I sent you some video. And he, I said, oh my God, it's so good to see live music. He goes, well, I haven't seen any yet. <laughs> He's dying. You forget that musicians want to see live music too. Sure, yeah. 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 So um, he may or may not join us at the podcast. Um, we did talk about it, but he was pretty busy. And um, it's not as easy doing multi-level interviews on top of doing interviews already. Uh, pretty much eats up your time. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sending you a couple more photos. Let's see if those work. And if not, I'll just describe the photo. Um, so yeah, we had an we went back to the Backstreet Cultural Museum. I don't know if you went there with us once before. Um, I don't think we did. Doesn't in 2007. Really did you go there? I am unstuck in time. I don't even know what happened in 2007. All right. Well, we, you and I and Sheila and Stag, we drove to. We met in San Antonio and drove to New Orleans. Back 2007? Yeah. Is that 13 years ago? 14. That's outrageous. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. I know, it's really creepy. Um, but we went back and Sylvester, who gave us a tour in the past, has passed away. He passed away in September. So we were really sad to, to hear that. But we ended up talking to his brother. And this is a museum of the Mardi Gras Indians. Ah, very cool. And it's stunning. I mean, you get to walk right in there and your breath is taken away. They've got all the costumes up against the wall. And it's a very tiny little um, uh, venue and very charming with all kinds of history. And I will share tons of pictures of that too. I was waiting till I talked to you before I did that. We, um, I, did an inter I did two interviews in Pensacola and one with um, Alan who um, we ate at his daughter's restaurant. And that's Carmen's on Palafox Main Street, 407 South Palafox in Pensacola. So again, if you're listening to this, you want to go check out Carmen's. Okay. Uh, I had an amazing creamy crab sandwich that was oh, amazing. Wow. It was like bechamel, basically. Uh, fondue cheese on top of this crab. And boy, was, and was it the perfect. crab crispy? No, it had been crisp. And then it kind of had oozed into the cheese Okay, sauce. got it. Got yeah. it. Oh, I was just trying God, to was, imagine it. Oh, it was insane. And you know, the crab was probably caught pretty close by since we're on the ocean. And that's one of the great things about um, being on the ocean. The other fun thing we had was everybody we talked to um, and stayed and visited, of course, they've been in the same position as us. So there was a lot of excitement around being, just like when we came to stay with you, it, it mm -hmm. just turns into this party vibe because you've been by yourself for so long. And um, so we kind of had this level of excitement with our hosts in Miami and Pensacola and Venice. And everyone, we just blend up talking much like you and I do with podcast about everything we watch. So I've got a whole list of um, recommendations to watch. Um, everyone I, we met had, had watched Chernobyl. And um, I had not realized that PBS Ken Burns had done a Hemingway. I don't know if you had noticed oh, yeah. that either. And so we met with our, my friend Alan is a definitive Hemingway scholar. And um, so we got his opinion. He was not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty hard for some people. Um, I watched it. I binged it during the last few days. Um, and because once I heard it was there, it was making me crazy that I really wanted to watch it. It's brutal. It's kind of shocking. There's a lot of things I didn't, you know, I thought I knew Hemingway. I knew his books, but his personal life pretty um, well, I don't know what to say. Definitely surprising because his mother dressed him and his daughter, his sister, in reverse gender clothing. 
Oh, really? That's interesting. Isn't it interesting? And I guess he had a lifelong enjoyment of that. Um, I had no idea. I had no idea. I, I was gobsmacked. And, um, and I guess a couple of his wives, it, it came, he, uh, you know, in the 20s, that androgyny, he really loved androgyny, let's say that. So a perfect time for him to live was in those 20s because it was very about the flapper girls being androgynous, right? Hmm. And that was a super trendy look. And they cut their hair in certain ways. He would cut his hair in a certain way and have the option there to um, be appear, present as female. Uh, so um, you learn something every day here really at do. the agency podcast. You I do. wasn't kidding when I was talking about it, uh, about our iconic style and bold sophistication. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I really enjoyed it. It's depressing. I mean, without, I mean, basically you're seeing a life without recovery culture and I've been in recovery culture my whole life, just about having therapy at, at, in my twenties. And, um, you know, um, dealing with childhood wounds and letting it go and meditation and mindfulness, it, it was pretty sad to see somebody who it was, that was not their lives then. That wasn't the way things were. It didn't seem like there was any kind of option for him to even be aware of that. His mindfulness and his healing was really when he was working in the morning. Unfortunately, alcoholism is a progressive disease and it would just get worse and worse. Uh, and you know you can pinpoint the moments when his life took more drastic turns, um, but it was very fascinating. And and also I didn't realize he was from a very well-off family. I I really didn't know anything about his family. His dad was a doctor, and his father did have depression, and his mother sounded a bit like a narcissist, like a, a, a she has some kind of bur- bur- personality problem that was not dealt with. She was very cruel. And both his parents were verbal abusers. And so yeah, unless you get healing for that, you're going to do it yourself or you're going to be a victim of it and do it to, you, do it to yourself. You don't necessarily do it to other people, but um, you, you do want to recover from that. So it was a pretty fascinating um, program. You know, there was all the typical predictable Ken Burns things. What I like about watching the Ken Burns documentary is, first of all, you go, what is he going to put in there? And then you're watching for what they don't put in there you know, you're picking out all the stuff that's not there, like with the jazz series or country music, you're going, why didn't they put this person in? Why didn't they mention that? Sure. Um, And of course, the 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 easy answer is you can't fit everything in and somebody gets to choose. And somebody gets to choose it. But it's it's part of the fun of watching it. So, and uh, I guess that um, Muhammad Ali is his next project. And I think that's coming out soon. The other thing that's weird is that, I mean, basically Ken Burns is part of um, promoting Americana for sure, and PBS, it's American history and American artists. Uh, that was also part of the problem for me with the uh, documentary. I wanted something more universal. And I, the thing is, though, of course, Hemingway lived around the world. He lived in Spain. He traveled around the world. He was a war correspondent. And I mean, he was, he, his, um, his son was born in Toronto. One of his kids was born in Toronto. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. I highly recommend well, it. Well, I think he worked for the Toronto Star at he one did. point. He did. Um, yeah. I read somewhere that, that his, uh, his resignation letter was quite spectacular. I guess he was pretty good at some very bad, you know, negative thing. He wrote a review about James Jones, who I adore, um, the writer James Jones. And um, he didn't, he was asked to write a review, but instead he wrote a, a terrible, unpublished letter about trashing the thing. And it just seemed like basic jealousy. 
Mm -hmm. um, James Jones is an incredible writer and anything he writes. Well, I think there's kind of a, a whole macho comp competitive thing yeah. going on with he, him and some other writers. I believe that, that he got into fisticuffs with Morley Callahan at one point. <laughs> I'm sure of it. I'm not. Surprised. I don't know who won. He had something like eight or nine documented head injuries, and which also goes with depression and suicide. Wow. So, and and every end of every episode, of course, they did say suicide prevention um, phone numbers and that. So it really was educational in that way. And I, I once went went fly fishing to a river uh, because uh, Hemingway wrote about it. Totally, Big Hearted River, right? Uh, yes, but it wasn't the the big two hearted oh, river that I fished. Oh. Oh. Uh, he called the the river in in the Nick Adams stories the the big two hearted river, okay. and there is a big two hearted river, but <laughs> it's about ninety miles away from oh, the river boy. he actually wrote about. Mm. Um, the big two hearted river is a fine trout stream, but he was writing uh, about uh, the fox north of a little town called Sini. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and it's a beautiful beautiful river. Uh, I once um, I, I once did a, a, a fly fishing trip there in which I uh, I fished downstream from a point way up in the river and downstream just for miles and stopped yeah. and had lunch and then walked back in the most wild gorgeous country you could ever mm, imagine. Mm. Um, something I can't do anymore. I know. Oh, no. well, I may have talked about it. You can do different types of fishing now. Yes, but I, I may have talked about it in the podcast. Yeah, I just discovered my, my mortality. Yeah, I can't yeah. do that. Well, that happens, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go up to the top of a mountain in Smithers or Banff anymore. That's not going to happen. And I used to do it with wild abandon. <laughs> um, and ski down it, no problem. Well, problem. Wow. I'm not the best skier, but, you know, I, I was adequate. Um, yeah, and again, back our friend in Pensacola, Allen. Um, who teaches Hemingway and Cormac McCarthy and, you know, written many books about them. Um, he's a fisher, and that's what he loved about Hemingway was his fishing stories, and um, he's an avid fisher. And, God, I would love to go with him somewhere fishing in Spain or something just to have him as a host. He's a great um, connoisseur of wine, nature, fishing, everything. We, nice. we always have a wonderful conversations with him. And he's the fellow that I re I shared a, a recording of where he's like, I hate the internet. I'm not doing it. You know, he wouldn't teach online. He wouldn't. He conducted his classes. He just didn't have fun. So he's he, a crank. He's, yeah, he's a crank. <laughs> and and we love him for it. I did a little dark tourism. I didn't expect it to come along. Um, you know, I like my dark tourism. I've been to where uh, Daily Plaza. I've gone to gangster sites. I like um, graveyards. And I suppose Graceland is a dark tourism if you look at it that way too. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we drove by in Venice. All of a sudden, our host Dan goes, "Oh, there's where the 9/11 uh, uh, hijackers uh, studied." So he pulled. I said, "Oh, I want to get a picture because <laughs> there's something wrong with me." And he pulled in across. He pulled across a field, and I got a little bit of picture. I'll share that. Oh, hey, the reason why I didn't get your picture is I was yeah. looking for it on email. And you texted oh, me the pictures, and so I yes. didn't see them because I'm watching email, wondering what the heck's oh, going on. And then I see I have texts that come in. Well, but I, wasn't I texted looking at them my... because I thought it was so fast. So I what do you think. think of those photos? I think there's an awful lot of people without masks standing around. Yeah, there are. That's it's what I think. It's kind of shocking, right? I, when we walked down the street, so this I is... I would be America. terrified. Where do you think this was? 
Um, uh, I really have no no idea where that could be. Yeah, you could see it if you look at the um, lighting. It should be a clue. I don't know, Candy. All right. Well, we came walking down Main Street in, in Memphis, and we're t our friend Andrew um, actually staying had to fly back to um, Chicago. He had got called back to work. So Andrew drove with me to Memphis, and he had never been there before, and I've been there many times. Uh, so I was like, well, the first thing we have to do is walk down to Beale Street. And when we well, came Well, I don't remember Beale that Street, many people on Beale Street, even when there wasn't never, a pandemic. Never, never. It's a crazy mean, town. We were shocked. We were shocked. And um, you can see that I'm standing back to get that photo um, yeah. in the middle of the street and jam-packed. Uh, I was very yeah, happy to I, see that it was busy. I was happy to see people out, but it was, it was disturbing. You know, even vaccinated, even vaccinated once we get past the pandemic, I yeah. would be freaked out with that many people around me. I know. I think that's because we've changed our, our we realize that these, the germs spread. So um, I've never seen Beale Street like that before. I've seen Beale Street beaten up with the signs broken and no, no business. And that was not good either. Um, and, most, and many times we went in 20, uh, I think 2010, we went for Christmas there. And um, I mean, it was, there was a crash, there was the depression. And so no one was traveling and we went down there and, and every bar welcomed us in because they were so damn glad for customers. Wow. Um, I see BB King Boulevard now. There you go. Yeah. And um, so I looked, um, so I talked to a lot of the bartenders. They said Friday and Saturdays. It's like that every weekend since they opened. It's insane. Some have been open since uh, last summer. And um, it, you know, I uh, guess. Just, just to describe well. for our listeners, I'm, I'm looking at a, a picture in which you could see about a block of. I guess Beale Street, mm -hmm. no cars, all people, and there's a space of maybe six inches between people, <laughs> and there's probably 600 people in this yeah. shot. Yeah. It's, it's uh, terrifying. Well, you know, we were having coffee outside the hotel after we got up and went and found the coffee shop, of course, in the morning, and um, we're sitting outside, and a couple walked by with their dog, and we just, you know, I, like I said, I do talk to people anyway, but we were talking a lot more, finding out where people are. They were vaccinated. Of course, that's the first question. Yep, are you vaccinated? So are we. And they said, oh, my God, were you at Beale Street the other night? And we are like, yeah. So they said they, they, they did the same thing. They kind of hovered or, you know, found their way to get by it. And uh, they were shocked, too. However, that the next night, it was completely, Sunday night was, was very quiet. So we just, we went to BB King's. We went to um, Sullivan's, Silky Sullivan's. And um, lots of social distancing, uh, lots of, um, you know, space. And we had dinner at BB King's. It was really good. And I proceeded to forget my trench coat there. So I had to stop in the morning leaving town and they had my trench coat. Well, that's good. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. yeah. The, the last I, I time I was in a, a crowd like that yeah. was in Hanoi. There's a place in sort of the backpacker district called Beer Street. Mm -hmm. And Beer Street is like an alley with bars on both sides and tables and chairs, mm -hmm. kitty furniture, right. I would say, um, spewing out from the bar. So there's just enough room for people to like maybe three or four across to walk through the alley. And they have hucksters out there with these huge <laughs> menu boards and they step right in front of you and try to get you to sit down at their 
restaurant. I don't know if they get a commission for everybody they get right. to sit down. Right. And then once you sit down, there's women dressed as beer brands. Oh, yes. So there was like Miss Budweiser, so Miss uh, uh, Miss Tiger Beer. Right. You were telling and, us about that when you were Yeah, it was Hawaii. really, yeah, really yeah. crazy. And they're talking over one another <laughs> to try to get you to order their brand of beer. Yeah. It's, and for me, you know, I don't like crowds like that. It was just like, beat me up to the ship, man. I know. Well, you know what? I don't like crowds like that, but it's completely a different vibe right now. And, you know, I felt like maybe a lot of people weren't vaccinated in the crowd because it was young people. And so I'm, I'm so happy everybody was having fun. I get that part, but we just played it. And, you know, I had to have a real talking to Andrew going like, listen, we've got to be careful. This does not stop you from getting the virus. We could be carriers. We've got to keep our masks on. We have to be vigilant. We, you know, we had to come to Jesus moment, you know? And um, so we proceeded. But the next night was great because, like I said, it was, I mean, it was not busy. So it was not great for business. But um, we saw some live music and we enjoyed it, and we were sitting far away from each other, and it was great. And now, Andrew has never been to Memphis, so guess what? I went to Graceland again. <laughs> you didn't. I did, and I had no idea. Stag and I weren't going to go. I was going to send him, and I wasn't going to go. I was going to do my interviews, and because um, I interviewed Marty in um, Memphis. Does it, does it seem even more dated now than it did when we were there years ago? No, it seems as dated. But what's very interesting is that it's a, um, we were there in um, 2005. I know that because uh, we, we went to Stax Records and a Stax Museum, I'm sorry, Stax yes. Museum of American Soul. And so Andrew and I went to, to Stax again. Now, I had not, I thought I'd been there 10 years ago. I've been there many, many further. 2003 is when the museum opened. So you and I and Sheila and, and Stag, we were there brand new when it was still two years old. I had forgotten a lot of the displays in the Stacks Museum. So it was really good for me to go back there and visit it. And of course, we saw Isaac Hayes' car. And um, that's still happening. And that's great. Does Isaac to, still tell you to get away from his car? Get, get away from my car. Yes, he does. <laughs> in his deep, deep voice. Um, I didn't go to his grave. Andrew didn't want to. But I've been to his grave before. And that's a great visit, too. Um, back to dark tourism, I suppose. Um, so when we were in um, Graceland, um, it was that we, you know, you do the house and it's really cool, old fashioned, and I like all that retro stuff. It's a lot of fun. Um, but it's a completely renovated campus. They have brand new buildings. Remember Gladys's Diner, which was really, it was adequate food. It's been completely rebuilt, but it wasn't open. What was open was Vernon's smokehouse. Now, you know who Vernon is, right? That's Elvis's dad. So oh, they had built a big smokehouse restaurant, and we did eat there. We had meatloaf, and it was fantastic, and greens and mashed potatoes and mac and cheese. It was really, really good. I, I, with full, and it was $10, and you had a huge portion. Wow. I highly recommend it. So I thought that was really good. Um, there were way more displays. They brought out um, archives, and I mean, they had everything going on. They had Lisa Marie's toys. You know, they've really expanded it. So Elvis fans are going to love it. Um, I had not been to Sun Records before. Oh, really? No. To my memory, maybe I went by or something. I just, anyway, I had quite a profound enjoyment of Sun Records. For me, it was chilling to stand mm -hmm. on the spot, mm -hmm. you know, where where Johnny Cash recorded. Mm -hmm. And to, you know, to, to, to be right there where Jerry Lee Lewis 
uh, bang the piano on mm -hmm. um, on the early Sun Records. It's I it just sent chills for me. I agree. I cried a couple of times, and I'm at, um, and I, I, and as well, you know, Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythm, and um, James Cotton mm -hmm. and uh, Howlin' Wolf, and uh, like all those those people prior to the rockabilly era mm -hmm. were recording on on Sun in that very building. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, what a a bunch of history in that right. one spot in the universe. No, it's so profound. It, it's really moving. You're right, because it's it's such a unique space with the kind of padding they put on the ceiling and the ceiling's very wavy so that it just it just um it, it distributes the sound very nicely. Can you and still um rent it with an engineer and record yes, there? Yes. And in fact one of the engineers gave us a tour. Hi Daniel, if you're listening to our podcast, you gave us a great tour. Everyone should go I, it was really a highlight of my visit to Memphis this time. And um, you know, one of my favorite albums in the whole world is Million Dollar Quartet. Oh, is it really? Oh my God, I love that album. I, I've played it to death over the years. Um, and so, yeah, I just love it that they hung out there. And that laid, in, that laid dormant for 10 years, that recording, because they all had contracts. He couldn't do anything with it. Um, uh. It probably didn't get released until well after. I don't know when it got released. I was going to look into that and be informative for our podcast. But um, the other thing is that because Sam... Um, Phillips made, who was the creator of Sun Records and the producer, he made so much money from uh, kind of selling some of the rights to the music or the contract with Elvis. Selling Elvis. Selling Elvis to RCA. Um, he went and built a new studio and that just sat there for 25 years, Sun Records. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Empty. It's amazing it didn't get demolished. Now, part of the reason I think it didn't get demolished is because it was not in a fancy part of developed town. It's where a lot of car, car parts and car shops, it was a former garage for fixing cars, in fact. That's why it had that crazy big ceiling. And so it just sat there for 25 years, and then I guess someone came up with the great idea of letting people come to visit it. I mean, obviously, people must have walked by. You know, Mystery Train, they walked by. I don't think they went on tour. Um, I don't know when Sun Records was open for, oh, it was open by then for Mystery Train. They have a poster of Mystery Train, the movie, Jim Jarmusch's movie, Inside of Sun Records, too, which I thought was really cool. The buildings are, jumping back to Stack's um, museum, the photos that, that Sheila, you and I took when we were there, all those buildings are still there exactly the same. For me, they are part of the experience now. Like, they're, they're still like Shirley's Beauty Shop and everything. I saw a map, and, and maybe it was there in, in Stax Museum, that mm -hmm. showed where all the musicians in Memphis in the 50s and 60s lived. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's so, cool. And they all lived in like a 10-block area. Right. It, it was sense. really quite remarkable that within this one tiny little area mm -hmm. in a mid-sized city in the Mid-South, there was so much American culture yeah. was located right there living right and there of different styles right different right. styles different right. different um right. i think cool cultural rainey. backgrounds i think Maul rainey recorded at sun records even really yeah i think i saw her name on the list yeah i do um you know graceland was pretty interesting to see the the expanded campus and um you know it was fun to go with somebody who hadn't been there before that sure. kind of made it because i really i feel like i've done it i don't need to go back right um, but, you know, they've renovated. They have a very fancy boutique hotel there now. The Heartbreak Hotel is still there, um, which is further, but it's really more like a motel. They've opened up, again, a, a luxury suite, resort hotel, uh, boutique services, bespoke, if you will. 
bespoke. And, yes, and so um, <laughs> that word's been been stolen from the tailor industry. I know. I use it myself. Um, I do bespoke personal services for people. Of course, you do. Yeah. Uh, so um, when we're leaving, going back to the parking lot, I see this guy. That sounds I, illegal. I know, right? It does doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I see this guy, and he catches my eye, and I'm like, he's working, and um. As we went through Graceland, I asked how people, you know, how long they work there and did they enjoy it and everything. So this guy, I was going to do the same treatment. And um, he'd been there four years and he really liked it. He said, look, I've done this job. I was a personal, con I was a contractor before this job. I'm doing the same work there that I, I did, I'm doing here now. I said, oh God, he had, uh, he had that look like, um, you know, the cowboy in um, the Big Lebowski mm -hmm. uh, or, or, Peter Coyote or something that silver, perfect silver hair that looks super healthy and tan skin, but he had uh, surfer glasses on and a kind of a ponytail. So he kind of caught my eye and uh, we're chatting away. And then I'm like, do you have any secrets of Graceland? And he said, well, not too many, but um, sometimes they get me to move a car, to push a car. And that's a lot of fun. We get in there and they want to readjust where the cars are set up and they push them, which later I thought, I guess they're not keeping them in running order. It's probably, ah. it's probably not worth keeping them in running order. Uh, so they just, maybe they're just sitting there and they're not able to drive them across the warehouse. And um, yeah, we had a really good visit, this guy and I, just chatting. And um, he said he really likes work. He's not, he's not paid enough to retire yet, but he, he's not ready to retire. He, he wants to keep working. His, his, his buddy came along and we chatted for a few minutes and I leave. And this woman is in a van and she calls me over. And I go, oh, hi. And she's super friendly. It was nice that someone, I kind of felt good that somebody wanted to talk to me. It wasn't me just pushing myself on somebody else. And she said, hey, what'd you think of that guy? Um, what'd you think about his voice? And I said, oh, he sounded like Elvis. And she said, that's his cousin. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, really? Oh, my God. That's so cool. She was completely blown away that I was talking to him for so long, I guess. Huh. Now, she works in guest services as well. And so I said, do you have it? How long have you worked here? And she had 14 years. I said, do you have any secrets of Graceland for me? And she said, well, not too many, um, except that Elvis had his own private entrance. He didn't come through those gates because the tourists were all there, the fans. And so I guess he had a secret, like a Batmobile, you know, the Batcave entrance. He had a secret, um, <laughs> he had a secret entrance. She goes, it's over in these woods here. And he would pull in. I went, oh, that's a pretty cool secret. And she said, now there's also archives buried somewhere and no one can go. They have to wear a blindfold if they go. And she said that Oprah even had to wear a blindfold. That's great. Isn't it cool? I said, you know what? You're right. Because I think I saw Oprah going, she came with Lisa Marie to hang out at Graceland and they did talk about these archives. And now whether I saw Oprah in a blindfold, I can't remember. I'm, I'm just Oprah. imagining Oprah in a blindfold saying, you get a car and you get a car. <laughs> stop it <laughs> um, so I, I and they did talk that there was this massive amount of archives now that's what they brought out some of them into the museum right and they even had the boxes that the archives are holding papers and contracts I mean they kept everything um, it's like it's like Ernest Hemingway he was so well off that he has a record of his life since he was born in in, in film his parents had movie cameras they had photography and, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people wouldn't have that kind of uh, recording from back in the day. And Elvis, like Amy Winehouse, her whole movie, Amy, was based on footage that people had taken. 
Uh, so that, I thought that was pretty cool, the, the secrets of, uh, I'm trying to see if I have any other, um, if she had any other secrets. I thought the fact that that was Elvis's cousin was a pretty good secret. Yeah. He was a charmer, boy. He was, uh, he was a pretty cool guy. And he looked like a cool tan hip surfer. So that was a lot of fun. I'm curious about that, um, the archives, which I think they're bringing up. And I'm curious about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the tunnel and being blindfolded. I, I would just like to do that. <laughs> hey, I watched something else. Um, I've only watched um, two episodes of it and it's amazing. It's brilliant. It's a documentary on HBO called Exterminate All the Brutes. And it's directed and narrated by Raoul Peck. And it's really an essay film. It's a little bit like Chris Marker films, who was a huge influence on me. Chris Marker made Sans Soleil and Le Chate, uh, which is a remake. They remade it as 12 Monkeys years later. Ah. Um, Raoul Peck made I Am Not Your Negro about James Baldwin, and also a brilliant movie, which I think we might have talked about a few months ago here. Um, so Exterminate All the Brutes, is, uh, I think it's a must-see. It's on HBO, and um, it's haunting and incantatory and painful. And it's really addressing colonialism and the fact that we need to just, let's not hide this stuff. Let's get it out there, talk about it. And, and we need to not make better words for it. It has to be talked about. So I haven't watched the whole series. I'm looking forward to it, but I really do recommend it right now. Hey, speaking of colonialism, yeah. um, we received an article um, in our in our email from one of our listeners, Adam Andia. Yeah, Adam Andia. Hi, Adam Andia. Thank you. And the uh, the article's from uh, from Hyper Allergic, and yes. it's called Pseudo Archaeology and the Racism Behind Ancient Aliens. Mm -hmm. Really interesting little article. Very interesting, and it's a topic that's very um, dear to my heart and important to me. In fact, my papers deal with this when I'm writing about this idea that we dismiss. Um, any knowledge, artifacts, artwork, literature, oral histories that aren't from Europe or white people. And it's, the, the article is saying that this, this idea when we say that, oh, ancient aliens built the, um, the pyramids, it's so disrespectful to the human achievement that was done. And it does mention that they found boards under the pyramids of how the stones were moved, that we do have some idea of how the pyramids were built. It, it's not a mystery that they were flown in by aliens. You know, we also do this with Shakespeare. Everybody always says, oh, Shakespeare didn't write all those plays. That is so anti-human to me mm -hmm. that you can't believe that one person could be so capable of writing that much poetry. Now, there does seem to be some evidence that he was collaborating with his, um, his theater troupe, of course, and they retained it in memory. And maybe he wrote a couple of the, the plays with another person. But um, this idea that we dismiss what humans are capable of is really yeah. disgusting and, you know, to me. It's, it's a topic I haven't really given a lot of thought mm. to. Mm. You know, I've always thought the idea of, of aliens building stuff um, was really charming. Oh, I love the idea of that. Sure, you know, science and, fiction. And, and I hadn't really, yes. like, I had thought, well, yeah, it does dismiss uh, human uh, abilities and um, a resourcefulness and the resourcefulness of people in our past. But, you know, I never, it just never occurred to me that, well, it's specifically dismissing people 
who weren't yeah. European. But it's, it's like, oh yeah, yeah it totally is. All the First Nations, in fact, you know what? Something I'm planning on doing in the next few weeks is visiting, if they're open, is the Hopewell Mounds. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of mounds in North America that are really fascinating and they record time, they record astronomy and um, it's much like Stonehenge. They used to say Stonehenge was made by aliens too. In fact, in Shakespeare, just to tie this back, Shakespeare in um, one of his plays, it might be The Winter's Tale, he says that the stones were from Wales. And we had a huge online argument about whether or not he made that up or was it, was it true? And recently it has been proven true that the, the stones, the, the blue stones in Stonehenge did come from Wales, which was 500 miles away. And the same thing people say, Easter Island, oh, how could anyone build that? Well, people could build it. And, and, and in fact, the word civilization to me is an insult. Um, it's, that's the lowest form we can reach as humans is when we're civilized. Our lives were so much better when we were pre-civilized and pre-agricultural. We had much more time on our hands. We had a better quality of life. It's not even, it's not even arguable. Every anthropologist knows it. And, um, but we've got this thing where it was like the agricultural revolution. No, it was a um, desperate um, reaction to dwindling resources that we began farming. It wasn't an accomplishment at all. It was a failure of what we had done to the environment that we started farming. And now we think of it as like such an accomplishment. And I mean, the racism part of it is the most important part of the article that Adamandia shared with us. As much as I love UFOs and I love science fiction, I would not want to propose that that was somehow telling us that, um, you know, in Africa they didn't build pyramids or that the Native Americans didn't build their mounds that recorded time down to the, you know, very precisely for their seasons, for them to know when they had to travel and when to hunt certain animals. Or, or, or forage for food. They were able to tell what, when, when berries were growing that they wanted, you know? Um, the article so yeah. in particular goes after Eric von Daniken. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that, the, the author of Chariots of the Gods, which like every, when I was growing up, everybody read that book. Everybody was reading it. My mother had that book and it was a lot of fun, but you know, you, you, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Yes, and it also, I mean, it suggests that he was very specifically a racist. I think he was a racist. Yeah. And uh, it says Keith Fitzpatrick Matthews points out uh, on his bad archaeology blog just a few of the many racist questions and statements posed by the author, right. such as, was the black race a failure and Ugh. did the extraterrestrials change a genetic code by gene surgery and then program a white or yellow race? It was really outrageous. It and is. I had no idea of any of that stuff. I never thought of it in those terms. It was right. quite eye-opening. So thank you, Adam Andia, for sending that along. Definitely. Uh, I really appreciate it. I do too. And you know, there's a thing about the Sphinx's nose, why it's missing was because it was African, um, because it, it represented black faces is one of the um, black facial features. I don't know if that's true. I have a girlfriend that um, her company is called Sphinx's nose. And, um, huh. and that and she told me about it. So that it's, you know, it's a thing that people feel like it wasn't just an accident, it was taken off on purpose, um, which is sort of shocking. There's so many things I could think about from that article. It was really good and we really appreciate it. And anyone, if you have things you want us to read or find out about, please send them to us. That was for listeners, you can find it online. Uh, and we'll, we can post the link on our Facebook uh, 
page. It's right. from Hyperallergic, and again, it's called Pseudo-Archaeology and the Racism Behind Ancient Aliens. Right. And the tag uh, in the article is, where exactly the idea of ancient aliens building the pyramids began, and mm -hmm. why some academics think racism lies at the heart of many extraterrestrial theories. Right. Very, very interesting material. Very interesting. You know, it reminded me, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, I read this book a long time ago, and, and it's mixed feelings. I, there's some things I, I don't want to recommend the book because I remember that it had um, some homophobic um, opinions in it, if I recall, but I read it a long, long time ago. I actually read it at uh, our friend John's house. He had got it from the library. It's called Art as Revelation, or Art as Understanding by Frank Avery Wilson. And um, it had a lot about that people believe in aliens because they can't stand the idea that this is it. That, that, that here, this is it. We have to deal sure. with each other. Aliens keep us thinking that there's some other, that's some way to get escape from the yes. um, planet or, or justify things. And I, and in a way, that's a cousin to it. It's, it, it is an escape, and we, we need to value. You know, stupas, one of the reasons I love stupas is because of all the math in it. And, you know, people, right now we have so much hate against Asians, and yet for thousands and thousands of years, these stupas could predict... Um, all kinds of seasonal activity. They're basically a GPS system and um, a calendar. And, and they're thousands of years old and every Asian country has them. Either they call it pagoda or, um, you know, they have different names, but they're all stupas. And they're all like a sundial on steroids. Yeah, great article, great thoughtful things. Hey, going back to uh, road trips for a minute. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Sheila and I have just been watching uh, a series streaming on, on HBO that is set in a town which I've driven through towns just like it all through Pennsylvania. Uh, it, the, the series, the miniseries is called Mayor of Easttown. I love the name. Yeah, Mayor, M-A-R-E. It's not Mayor, Mayor, right. as in, I don't know, short a for Marion maybe or Mayor. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, it's a mini series that's very much about community and family. It's set in small town Pennsylvania, um, and they really do up the small town Pennsylvania mm -hmm. right. I only have seen one thing that I thought was wrong mm -hmm. in it, and that is that they referred to a creek going through town um, as a creek, whereas in Pennsylvania it would almost for sure be called a run. Oh. Yeah, almost all the creeks are named right. runs, Run. yeah. you know. Um, but mostly it's very, it seems very accurate to me. Um, it's, it uh, stars Kate Winslet, who is just superb in mm. it. Uh, it's streaming now. I think that Sunday was the third episode. Okay. Um, and it's of seven. And it's the story of, well, the protagonist is the, the Kate Winslet character, Mare, who is the only detective in this small town. And she knows everybody, because mm -hmm. everybody knows everybody. She's related to most of the people. And she's been working on a murder for a long time and hasn't solved it. And people want it solved. Mm -hmm. And people are saying she's incompetent and um, they're, there's a lot of pressure to bring in somebody from the county you know, right. um, it reminds me of when, it, when I, used, I used to work for a, a large national company and um, 
it, the head office was in Ottawa. And so uh, whenever there was any kind of problem or lack of confidence, they would always send somebody <laughs> from Ottawa who would say, uh, I'm here to help. <laughs> right, it's the same kind of thing. The person from the county. Um, right. And her family is, like many families, it's it's rough, you know, it's uh, it's quite dysfunctional. Her son had committed suicide. She's looking after her grandson, but her, uh, the grandson's mother, uh, who is a recovering junkie, wants mm. custody because mm. she's been clean for a few months, you know, and she can look after the kid. And there's another murder and her daughter was on the scene not long before the murder at a party in the woods. Um, and of course the, the, the detective from, uh, from the county comes in. And so that adds another complication. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have her family, uh, the, the greater community, uh, the mm -hmm. huge drug problem in the community, opiate problem, mm -hmm. which I think is just a real scourge in small town America these days. Um, I think there's huge opiate problems. Um, it's very interesting and entertaining, uh, also very serious and very uh, difficult and sad in lots of ways too. Uh, I, I'm quite enjoying it. I highly recommend it. As I say, it's streaming right now on HBO. You can go on if you have access to it and catch up. Um, and so uh, that, I'm giving that a, a, a high recommendation. I can't wait. I'm going to start it tonight. I promise you. I, I'm so excited. I need a good... I'm looking like forward that. to hearing what, what you think of it. Oh, I'm yeah. sure you'll catch up by next Sunday. Right. Um, when, right. when the next episode comes oh, yeah. out. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, we're also watching the second season of something I mentioned last week, which is Life on Mars. And it's still fun, but, you know, it would be better as a miniseries. Uh-oh. Still fun, still watchable. <laughs> but I, the, uh, the problem for me is it's such a... How should I say it? It's kind of gimmicky, right? Mm -hmm. This guy, guy has an accident, wakes up in his 1973, and all the people around him are stereotypes from that era, right? Right, including his his boss, and um, I mean, it's it's funny, it's adorable, it's got great <laughs> music in it, uh, it's got fun action, great cars, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and periodically you know, this, this character will, will hear voices through the TV set or the phone will ring and he'll mm -hmm. answer the phone and mm -hmm. he can hear a nurse saying, Sam, Sam, wake up, wake up. You have to really try. You have to try. You have to try to wake up. And he just wants to go home, right? right but right. he can't do it. He doesn't know how he gets out of 1973. So it's still quite good, yeah. but they could have ended it after one season too. And, you know, I often say that about series that I think they often go on too long because yeah. it becomes like a franchise. We can still milk this longer, but sometimes if you keep it shorter and every episode is special, I, I think it's sometimes better. Mm, mm -hmm. um, yeah, Sheila one. and I were both fighting. It was getting a little bit tiresome and we're like halfway through the second season. Right, 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 right. But we're going to finish it for sure. Sure. Cool. I've also started uh, reading a new novel. Oh. I kind of had a hankering to read kind of a, you know, I like Cold War spy novels. Yeah, yeah. 
So I went online and Googled Cold War spy novels because I mean, <laughs> that's the way we do it here in the, in the 2000s. You've officially turned into my grandfather. Um, so I, I did that and I, I came up with one whose premise I, I thought was quite interesting. Uh, it's called The Innocent. It's written in 1990 and it's set in 1950s Berlin. Mm. It's written by Ian McEwan. Mm -hmm. um, and Ian McEwan, I mean, he's hugely well-known, powerful uh, cultural figure in Britain, right. uh, written a number of best-selling books, including um, one called Atonement, which a mm -hmm. movie was made from. Right. Um, and Very he's also known for, for being accused of plagiarism mm -hmm. um, for mm -hmm. part of that novel. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems to be a gray area because he does give credit for inspiration mm -hmm. to the person that um, he's accused of plagiarizing. Um, but I've noted that a lot of uh, a lot of very highbrow literary figures have come out and defended him mm -hmm. in this case, mm -hmm. and so I don't know too much about that. I just read that the other the other night. Okay. Um, the uh, the book is based on an actual incident um, at the heart of the of the story, but there's all kinds of other things that go on in the story. Um, and it's, it's set in Berlin in which after the war, everything is divided up into sectors. And there's a, a building, a compound that's in the American sector right near the Russian sector. And what they're doing is they're digging a tunnel underground to the Russian sector, to a building where um, is like the, the Russian spy headquarters. And they're <laughs> tapping into their phone lines. Wow. So they bring on board this guy who's a, a post office technician. <laughs> the young guy is really naive. He's a really unlikable character. Huh? Uh, in lots of ways, he gets involved with, uh, um, with a woman, and the way he treats her is just so horrible hmm. that um, I, I found him to be really quite un unlikable. Uh, and I'm like about a third of the way through this, and you just know that as they're tapping into these phone lines, something is gonna happen that's gonna tie in his relationship with this woman and the, the top secret job he's working on mm -hmm. and the Russians. And I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> I'm sure in the next day or so of reading, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Cool. So I'll be able to report on it a little bit further next week, but I did get, get started on that. And, uh, and I, I'm quite enjoying it. Fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. My grandfather would have buckets of these books. The more grimy, grimier the title, the better. And they were always like, and they always had red and black covers. <laughs> and often with swastikas and, and um, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, crazy, or, you know, fighting the Nazis and spying and Soviet. Yeah. I, I think the, the Cold War spy novel interests me because it's such a curious time in our history. Yeah. And it was really the nucleus of what we think of as spies today. And it wasn't high tech. Not like That's we right. think of now, it was lower tech. Anybody That's right, and it wasn't anyone. James Bond. It was right. really, it was, you know, really a bunch of really ordinary people doing these extraordinary Deeds. You might want to check out all of the Stone's Untold History. It's so good. I, 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 I've mentioned it here before. It's brilliant. He wanted to make it for his kids and to, you know, 
attend to some of the history that was covered up. It's really good. Oh, put it on my list of stuff All to, right, good. to check out. Yeah. Hey, should we do a uh, comfort food diner today? Sure. I want to I remember think. I've got one more secret that's Graceland. Okay, okay, let's go back to that first. Just Graceland really, first. Just really quickly. There's yeah, two yeah. chapels in the woods. Oh, really? One's an older, small one, and one's a newer, larger one. I don't even remember the woods, you know? I know. Yeah, well, um, there were, there's woods. And I don't know which woods they're in, but they're in there. It's a pretty big property. It's, what is it, 40 acres or something? Ah, yeah, and you um, don't go through a lot of it. You only go through a, a very tiny, where they want you to go. And actually, I saw some horses, too. His horses were on the property the other day. And I had not remembered seeing actual horses, just the, just the corral. And they were eating, and they wouldn't look at us. They were eating some of the best clover I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah, they don't look at, those horses don't look at tourists. No, they've got clover. Okay, tell me about your comfort food diner. Oh, yeah. The other day, Sheila said, can you make me a veggie chili? And I said, yes, yes, I can. (laughs) And she said, can you make me skillet cornbread to go with it? (laughs) And I said, why, yes, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And so so it is the best combination. Mm -hmm. And we've had a rainy week here. So it's been damp and cool and rainy. And so we were kind of feeling like winter food and that's right. very much winter food. Yeah. So um, my veggie chili, you can use whatever veggies you want. Um, we use like cauliflower, peppers, uh, jalapenos. Um, we use some corn, uh, whatever greens we might have. <laughs> uh, you can add whatever veggies you, you happen to, to have and like to put in. Um, we also use um, some fake meat. Mm-hmm. You know that grocery store sure, uh, sure. Italian style fake meat. Fun. It's sort of kind of like like ground beef. Yummy. Ish. We we add that, and it's kind of okay. Uh, I want to say that there's really a couple secrets to making really really good veggie <laughs> chili. Um, the first one is. Uh, start with start with your onions and saute your onions until they get well caramelized. Mm. Like really get them to start to to turn and stick to the pan and mm-hmm. um, get really dark and um, that just that just adds a lot of love and goodness to the the, the final product. Right. Also, um, don't use those harsh chili powders. You know, they, okay. there's there's a mix that you yeah, can. I don't like you can, them. Yeah. They're just they just tend to be really nasty and yes. harsh and yes. often chemical tasting. I, if you can get a real organic chili powder, totally. Um, that's another story, and we do have some. Yeah. But you can use instead of that, you just use some cayenne. Use you can use canned tomatoes, canned beans. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, works works just fine. Use red beans. Um, use tomato paste. Mm-hmm. And I discovered the just the best invention ever is tomato paste in a tube. I know. Trader I Joe's love tomato that. paste in a tube. I Whoever invented that, thank you. Thank you. I know right? Trader because, Joe's has an organic one. It's fantastic. I mean, I don't know how many times I've bought the little can 
and it doesn't have any kind of reclosing lid for nope. this little can. Yeah. Yeah. And you you use like your two teaspoons full, <laughs> and then you like cover it with saran wrap and put it in the fridge until it, it turns moldy. green, and then you yeah. throw it out. Yeah, right. I I freeze it in a little. If I if I only can find a tin, I freeze the remainder. Into oh, that's a, a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I've never, you know, because. You know, I've looked at it and I thought, well, maybe there's something I could do with this. Right. And then I think it was 79 cents. Right. I'm just not right. going to worry about this. Right. Right. But you get it in the tube, you squeeze oh, yeah. it when you want, oh, you toss yeah. it in the fridge. Yep. It's great. Fant brilliant. Fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. It is so brilliant. I love it. Um, and I I make an effort to go to a spice store. Um, it's an old, the old, it, it's up on the north side and they have incredible spices that they fresh go, spices are fantastic and they go to the country and get them and bring them back so two, yeah. two other secrets yeah one is add cumin i was gonna say it if you didn't get there first I was uh, gonna say cumin, cumin adds a kind of earthiness to it that is just so good in a veggie chili you know uh, who taught I, me that who taught you that your mother really yeah Interesting, because yeah. it would be one of the few things she would put cumin in. I, I believe it, but it was her recipe that I put cumin in it myself. Yeah, because she didn't like um, uh, Indian spice mixes. Sure, um, sure. And she And she would say it's because she doesn't like the strong cumin, but she would use cumin in, in chilies. She did, yeah. And I, it's because I guess it's, it gives it that smoky, umami, uh, rich background, and yes. it doesn't necessarily taste like cumin when you eat it with exactly. the tomatoes and the uh, chili pepper. Uh, the other thing is fennel seeds. Mm, I'm, I'm sketchy on that, but I know people love fennel. I'm not a fennel person. Well, so you can I, be forgiven for that. Yeah, sorry. I don't want to rain on your parade. There, but you I know, think therapy can, love it. therapy can get you through that, and, <laughs> and you'll come to the realization that fennel makes everything better. I know. I know people love fennel. You know, I don't like it. I don't add a lot, but I do yeah. add a little bit yeah. Yeah. Uh, to it. Uh, and... Um, then, if you're a family like ours, in which mm -hmm. um, you know there's vegetarians and omnivores in the right. in the household, right. um, and the omnivores look at it and go, "Oh, I need some meat, man." Right. Well, what you can do is you can sauté up some ground beef and mm -hmm. then just add the chili into the ground beef. No, perfect, perfect. Also, really good with it is um, grated cheddar cheese. Mm -hmm. Super, mm -hmm. super good. Okay, skillet cornbread. Okay. The secret to our skillet cornbread is that although <laughs> Sheila is a vegetarian, there are exceptions. Mm -hmm. And one of those exceptions, of course, is kielbasa, which right. she claims because of its garlic content is actually a vegetable. <laughs> she wanted me to plant some one year. Uh -huh. And uh, the other thing is <laughs> if you make skillet cornbread and it has some crumbled up bacon in it, Mm -hmm. that for is bacon becomes vegetable for a day oh, and yeah. if you cook the bacon and leave the fat from the bacon in your cast iron pan mm -hmm. and while you prepare your skillet cornbread ingredients um, you put that skillet in the oven and you mix <laughs> up your ingredients and your ingredients are basically uh, about a cup and a quarter of cornmeal to three quarters of a cup of flour, mm -hmm. uh, two teaspoons of baking powder, half a teaspoon of baking soda. Um, use uh, uh, about a cup of uh, buttermilk and about a third of a cup of regular milk. 
if you don't, if you don't um, use bacon because mm -hmm. you're really vegetarian, mm -hmm. um, you can add uh, butter to your skillet and put it in the oven and you can yeah, add butter into your cornbread. Now, because so, yeah. I use the bacon, I don't put butter into the cornbread. I put some <laughs> olive oil. We have some extremely good olive oil, yeah. Salah's Gold. Yeah. Salah, if you're listening, you bottle the best olive oil. Thank you, hi Salah. Um, and um, I'll, I'll add the, the olive oil instead of, and just a big splash right, of olive right, oil right, to, right. The, to the, the wet ingredients. You mix the wet ingredients and the dry ingredients separately. My other secret is some frozen corn. Oh, I'll add idea. about a cup of frozen corn Great to idea. the wet ingredients. And then the summer you could just shave it off. Yep. Yeah. And, and that, um, that adds some, you know, corn mm. texture to mm. it. And um, Delicious. You, you mix it all together. And I guess... You're putting that into the hot skillet. You put it into the hot, you make, you basically make your batter. And also you don't want to over mix. No. Okay. You want to, um, you want to, you want to mix it just until all your dry and your wet ingredients mix together enough. So you don't see any dry ingredients <laughs> and that's it just with a, a spatula it and it's, so it's the texture should be like a batter, a thick batter. And you just pour that into your sizzling hot, bacon grease right and some of the bacon grease will come up around the edge of the batter mm -hmm. and you'll think oh no but that's just extra good <laughs> now if you're vegan well you can't use butter and you can't use bacon you don't so, want to you don't want to um and you so you, i mean you can do it with like a vegetable oil sure uh and it's okay it's it will be okay uh, in my opinion <laughs> bacon makes the, the makes the cornbread extra good sure um, there there is in cornbread circles and i am not <laughs> like i'm i'm from i'm from canada right what do i know from cornbread i'm not going to get involved in the argument in canada it's is, called johnny cake isn't it well i don't know i don't know the difference okay. between a johnny cake and a hoe cake and a right and a fritter and a cornbread there's there's all those mm -hmm. things um but I like it with a little bit of sugar in my cornbread. Some people will say, oh my God, you should never put sugar in your cornbread. I think it depends on where you come from. Honey is good. Honey or any sweetener. Some, some um, people won't put any sweetener into their cornbread. I can tell Most you. Most of I... the recipes that are online right. use an astonishing amount of, of sugar in their right. cornbread. Well, especially Southern. I mean, we had some amazing cornbread. And Vernon Smokehouse had really good cornbread on the side. On that $10 meatloaf, we also got cornbread. It was incredible. I'll and, um, use about uh, half a cup of granulated sugar in my, in my dry sugar? ingredients. How about brown sugar? Brown sugar would be fine, I think. Delicious too, right? I, I really don't know exactly how it would right. differ. But, you know, on, on the one hand, people will tell you that baking is a formula. Mm -hmm. You can't mess with it. But mm -hmm. if you go online and you look for recipes for skillet cornbread, uh -huh. you will find 50 different recipes that have different amounts of the same ingredients. So they've experimented. Right. And they all come out 
kind of like cornbread. Right. I mean, one might be a little bit nicer to your taste than right. another. Exactly. One might be more authentic to the regional style you grew up with. Well, you know, sometimes when you put sugar into a recipe, it's not just to make it sweet, it's tempering it, it's adding, a, you know, it's adding something that it does something to the cornmeal. It's all, not always about just being sweet. You know? True. So I mean, I'm not going to get involved in that argument because I know people are quite passionate <laughs> about whether you sweeten your cornbread right, or right, not and about right. exactly how the texture of the cornbread should be. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm going to admit I'm a rank amateur when it comes to the cornbread. Was it good? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it was so good. Right. Did you take pictures? Um, yes, I took I took a picture. I put one picture already okay. um, on our our Facebook site okay. of it after it came out of the oven. Mm. And I challenged our listeners: uh -huh. if you have a favorite recipe <laughs> and you want it to be included in the comfort food diner, if you send right. us a recipe, we will make it. Right. We will and, both make it and right. try it, and, and then that, discuss that recipe. Right. And online. that would be. You could email it to theagency.podcast at gmail.com. And if you make a good enough pitch, <laughs> we might even invite you to come on to the agency and talk to us about your recipe. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because we haven't had a guest specific to the Comfort Food Diner, except when we had the surprise phone call about Lemon Squares <laughs> to your sister. Well, that's true, yeah. I don't know if she's <laughs> forgiven us for that yet or not. I don't think she's even thought about it. I think she was pretty, she's, she's swung with it. Yeah, we should get her to get on here. So that's today's Comfort Food, right. food Diner, which is skillet cornbread and uh, veggie chili. Um, if you have any questions about that, um, feel free to write in and uh and i'll try to answer them all right sounds good and we watch your recipes yes we do. and in fact if if there's a, a super high volume of recipes which <laughs> is highly doubtful because hardly anyone really writes us we have a few correspondents who write us but um, if uh if we have a lot of recipes come in maybe we'll put together an online compendium <laughs> of uh of the agency recipes that sounds great to too. go with the agency. You know, it's, it's a good thing you've got a fiddle because you're awfully good at playing the violin. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Woe is us, we don't get email. <laughs> so, feel help Eugene and send him email, please. I please. love getting email. Help I got so excited when we got this article from Adam Andia. I know. I like, yes, yes, thank it was you so, so much. And it was so important too. Yeah, right. I well, always I love I'm... to read our uh, listener mail on the air. Yes, we do. Yes, it's we a do. highlight for me. I, it is you know, mind. it doesn't take a lot to make me happy. <laughs> it just looks that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, some fishing, some cornbread. Okay, I'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, take care. All right, thanks so much to our new listeners and our, 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 our year-long listeners and those of you taking this uh, ride with us. Thank you so much. Bye. We really appreciate you. Bye.